is national college football writer for CBS Sports, Memphis native and Tennessee grad, who you can find on Twitter X at David W. Cobb. It's David Cobb. David Cobb joins us now from CBS Sports to talk college football and college basketball. And David, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna put this out there now. I'm just gonna say it. We're gonna talk a lot of college football, but I do have about three pages in building of questions, college basketball questions for the upcoming season. So we'll have to get to a couple of those, knock a couple of those questions off the list um, before you knock leave them out today. Now, bro. Uh, I, I'll get there later. I want to talk football first. I, I, I'm okay. I'm in the mood for football. We'll get to that later. I do want to ask you, David, because we've been obviously talking a lot about t- uh, the Tigers today after their loss to Tulane. From your viewpoint, kind of a, a national viewpoint, obviously your roots are from here, but you cover college football at a national level, so I'm curious your thoughts of that game for the Tigers, the loss against Tulane, and kind of the state of, of this Tiger program right now, maybe what you've heard your colleagues say, and what you've seen from kind of a national perspective. Yeah, I feel like Memphis needed that win to break through on the national level and to become a topic of conversation nationally. Tulane is that team in the American right now, uh, if, if there is one at all. It's not a great year for the league. And now we're talking about a situation where the group of five uh, New Year's Day representative could very well be James Madison uh, out of the out of the Sun Belt. I mean, that's on the table here because the Mountain West is a tough league and Fresno State has a loss now and there could be some cannibalization in that conference. So, it felt like that was a victory for Memphis in the, in the national spotlight on Friday night that would have would have gotten the Tigers into that conversation, but they came up just short in a game that they were you know, very much in contention to win throughout. And, and so that was a disappointing outcome. It didn't really change my opinion on the team, though. I mean, I didn't see anything in that game that uh, made me feel like Memphis is, is headed in the wrong direction. It was just, I think maybe just a little disappointing that they couldn't run the football and, and that there in the end it felt like they lost their composure a little bit with the game on the line. And so it doesn't mean the season's a waste. It just means that um, they've got to regroup and, and get back on track here because this, this league is right for the picking. And even though Memphis is behind the eight ball now, I mean, they could very easily finish with a, a really, really good conference record still. Now, David, a group of five representative. There's one regardless. I mean, even if 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 the best team was a nine and three team, there's a slot for them no matter what, right? Yeah, it's it's the top top group of five team as as stated by the college football rankings. And if the uh, rankings do not include a group of five team, which they might not if they came out today, it's just not a great year for the group of five when you consider the losses of. Houston and Cincinnati and, and UCF uh, to the Big 12. And, and so that's kind of to be expected. And if there's not a group of five team in the final CFP rankings, then the committee decides uh, who goes uh, to the New Year's Six from the group of five. So it could, it could be a situation like that. I mean, if Tulane finishes with one or two losses, I suspect they'll be ranked. Or if Fresno State finishes with one or two losses, they'll be ranked. But uh, James Madison is very much in that mix as well. Yeah, they are. What was it like being back up on Rocky Top in Knoxville? Yeah. Uh, it was great. It was great to be back. It was like a family reunion in the press box. You walk in there and see all the guys who you used to cover the team with and, and, and whatnot. It was fun. Uh, the game itself was hideous. I mean, that was a that was a terribly played football game <laughs> pretty much all around. And 
Tennessee was very fortunate to win when you consider the fact, I think it had the, my final tally was that they made it to A&M territory nine times and came away with one touchdown. So that passing offense has a lot, a lot of issues to figure out before uh, they are even in the mix to upset an Alabama or a Georgia. And Bama is this week, so they don't have much time to, uh, to get that aerial attack going. But I think it was a big program win for Josh Heupel just because of the fact that they were able to get it done with the defense. And that's just not something you typically associate uh, with Josh Heupel coach teams. And so mm-hmm. for Tim Banks, the defensive coordinator, and for, for the guys on the defensive side of the ball, uh, that was that was huge. But it doesn't necessarily change my outlook on Tennessee's potential to uh, compete with uh, Georgia in the SEC East. That looked like a Johnny Majors head coach, Philip, former offensive coordinator, John Chavis, defensive coordinator, <laughs> Tennessee effort Saturday. Yeah, and I thought they would have liked to have Andy Kelly or Heath Schuler at quarterback. Uh, because Joe Milton is uh, leaving a lot to be desired at that position, to say the least. The he's not getting a lot of help from his receivers, so that's that's part of it as well. Got to got to be clear there. There's no Jalen Hyatt or Cedric Tillman on this year's Tennessee team, and the loss of Brew McCoy for the season uh, due to injury is not helping matters either. But it's just staggering when you see it from the press box. Do you notice it on TV if you watch Tennessee long enough? But then when you have the bird's eye view uh, at the 50-yard line in the front front row of the press box, you can see the right play developing, and then you see him choose to make the wrong play mm-hmm. or misread the situation. And, and that's everything from where he chooses to throw the football to the trajectory he puts on the football to uh, the running lane that he chooses, You know, cho- choosing the sideline route instead of the, uh, the green space available in the middle of the field. Little things like that. Uh, Joe Milton is not living up to the hype. Uh, that he generated this offseason because we all know the man can throw the football a long, long way and throw it fast. But uh, right now he's, to me, feeling more like 2022 Will Levis uh, mm. in terms of the toolsy guy with the big arm and, and whatnot who had all the hype but not necessarily delivering on that with his performance. Well, David, you mentioned Georgia a couple minutes ago, and uh, they get the win over Vanderbilt. I will say, for my personal record book, that's a win for Vanderbilt because they led 7 nothing early <laughs> in the first quarter. But obviously the biggest story from that game is the injury to Brock Bowers, now uh, likely out for at least four to six weeks. Some people think he could be out for the rest of the season. Uh, obviously a massive blow for Georgia, but how much does that hurt them through the rest of the conference slate and then into the uh, college football playoffs? Yeah, it hurts them because they don't win the Auburn game this season without the playmaking that he brought to the Mm -hmm. table. And they're coming up on what is the most challenging stretch of their schedule. It's been a very easy schedule for Georgia to this point. And there's not a national title contender on the schedule over the next month. However, when you look at Florida, Missouri, Ole Miss, Tennessee... Those are all teams that, if they play their best game, could absolutely give Georgia a run for their money. I mean, we're talking about a Georgia team here that struggled with Auburn and struggled with South Carolina. So if they're not motivated and don't come out uh, playing close to their their full potential, they're not going to have Brock Bowers there in the fourth quarter to bail them out like they did against Auburn. So it is a concern. But if, if Georgia comes out and plays even close to the level uh, that it played out against Kentucky – which it seemed like in that game they were motivated and Kentucky had their attention and uh, they played from start to finish and they looked like the best team in the country. Like if they come out and play close to that standard, they should be fine. But it's 
so important to have that that sort of game changing playmaker uh, when things aren't going well in the fourth quarter. Who you can, to use a basketball term, he, he, Brock Bowers was like a cheat code. He was like Kendrick Davis for the Tigers last yeah. year. It gets late in the just game and, and a close mm-hmm. contest. Hey, we'll just give you the ball and, and we'll be yeah. all right. You know what I mean? So uh, the fact that they don't have that anymore, it's going to challenge them. And maybe that's a good thing in the long run. Because if they're able to survive the, the next several weeks without Brock Bowers, and they show up at the college football playoff, he's healthy. And now they've got some other guys uh, experienced uh, in the clutch. And sometimes uh, a key injury can force other players to step up. And that's kind of something that Georgia needs. And, and for Georgia, now without Brock Bowers, open date, cocktail party, a lot of emotion, rival game, Mizzou at home in Athens. Ole Miss at home in Athens, and then on the road at Knoxville, and then the end of the year, the rivalry game against Georgia Tech. Uh, maybe their toughest football is ahead of them. I think it is. Yeah, there, it should be at least because uh, the, the schedule sets up to where Missouri is emerging as uh, a legitimate contender to finish second in the division. The Missouri game will likely decide that who, who finishes second in the division. Ole Miss, uh, we. we we saw them break through against LSU. We know kind of what they do. And uh, Lane Kiffin can sometimes mastermind a game plan that could potentially have the Rebels in that in that mix. And then uh, Neyland Stadium will be at Fever Pitch uh, for Georgia's visit there. I mean, we'll see kind of where Tennessee is at. I think there's a good chance that Tennessee will lose at least one more game before then. Uh, but even still, I think, I think that's far and away the most hostile environment that Georgia uh, will play in this season, probably even more so than going on the road to Auburn. So, uh, yeah, it's, this is the time where Georgia has to uh, demonstrate that it's improved over the course of the season, and you now it's time for them to turn it on, right? And it's the same way for Michigan. Michigan's about to get to the portion of their schedule uh, where they've got to actually uh, show up and, and play four-quarter games. They haven't had to do that, really, so far this season. So, uh, we've got these guys that one and two in almost every poll in college football right now, uh, but a large part of that is because they haven't played anybody, and now we're we're getting to the point where uh, they are playing folks, and it, it's it's time to to separate the contenders from the the pretenders here. And I certainly believe Georgia is a contender. I mean, I they are my national title pick still, even though they don't have the high end NFL draft talent on the defensive front like they did the last two seasons. I still think they are all around a good enough team uh, with a, a good enough path uh, to repeat, three-peat now as national champion. Our friend David Cobb with us from CBS Sports with us every Monday talking college football and college basketball. And, Brian, I want you to jump in and, and get the basketball in after I ask you this, David. Can you find one loss, two loss, any losses the rest of the way for Alabama? That was very pedestrian Saturday. Yeah, I've been of the opinion for quite a while now that Alabama's going to drop another game. They lost the Texas game in week two, and it's just, to me, it feels like a matter of time before they get bit. Uh, Tennessee and LSU still on that schedule. And, of course, you know, the Iron Bowl. <laughs> I know this is not uh, a good Auburn team. I mean, that's just obvious at this point. Hugh Freeze doesn't it gets have a weird. That. It, it mean, does there, there's some Auburn voodoo. There's no doubt. Right. And that could be a situation in the Iron Bowl at season's end where uh, Robbie Ashford's the quarterback, and they only throw five passes, but somehow find a way to be in the game. So, yeah, I think Auburn, I think Alabama gets bit somewhere along the way. They've been playing with fire for far too long. Uh, they had chances to lose the last couple of weeks against Arkansas and Texas A&M and, and managed to survive 
there's something to be said for that. But in this league this year, uh, it just feels like everybody above Vanderbilt and below Georgia <laughs> could beat anybody on a given day. So that's 12 or your 14, uh, essentially. And, you know, maybe Mississippi State and South Carolina are, are weak enough where uh, they're not in that group. But a lot of these teams in this conference this year can, can beat any other team they face on a given Saturday. So with a couple of uh, difficult games left, including one this week against Tennessee, I, I think Bama picks up that second loss somewhere. All right, Dave, let's get into some college basketball questions. The AP poll dropped uh, earlier this morning. The Kim Palm rankings dropped yesterday. Uh, Houston, a team now joining the Big 12, uh, was in the American. And I'll be completely honest, I have not followed this offseason as closely as I have in the past with Houston since they're not in the in the conference with the Tigers anymore. But Houston comes in number three in Kim Palm, number seven in the AP. How good will this Houston team be? And how, how much tougher will this season be with them in the Big 12? Because, I mean, you look at this team, obviously lost some pieces last year. Marcus Sasser, Tremont Mark, um, uh, the the freshman I'm blanking on his name now that, that got drafted by the Pacers. How good yep, can Jarris this, Jairus yep. Walker, how c- good can this team be and what makes them so high on Kim Palm and the preseason AP? Oh, yeah, it's, it's the trust in Kelvin Sampson at this point. That's what it is. And they do have some quality pieces returning. I mean, Jamal Shedd's been playing a lot of basketball there for a long time. Terrence Arsenault was a highly touted prospect last year who's set to take on a significant role. So they've got some players. LJ Cryer transferred into Houston after playing a a ton of ball at Baylor over the years. They're also going to take a lot more losses this season. That's just the reality of going from the AAC where they ran the league, uh, they would split with Memphis and then get upset by one other team somewhere along the way, right? And now they're going into a league where pretty much every night you're in for a, a dog fight, a rock fight, whatever term you want to use. Except for those rare instances where they're going to be playing uh, UCF or, yeah. or maybe Cincinnati, uh, they're, they're, they're going to be uh, in a fight. So it could be a situation where you, know, you look up and they're, they're 12-6 and six in Big 12 play, but Houston's coaching, its continuity is such that they will be an upper half uh, of, of the conference type of team in the Big 12. And uh, Yeah, they've got enough back with, with Shed and Arsenault and and Cryer to have one of the best backcourts in the country. And then, you know, we'll kind of see how they piece together the front court. But the Big 12 isn't like the, the Big 10 in terms of uh, being a front court oriented league. And so you've got the guard play in that league. Uh, to get it done, you're going to be all right. And I think they do. I mean, they've got, they've got really good guards. So not surprised at all, uh, even, even amid the conference transition, to see Houston registering, registering very highly in, in the preseason polls. David, I know it's a new season and new voting. First of all, do you vote in the AP by any chance? No, I used to. Not anymore, though. Okay. Uh, I know it's a new season, but I, I see Purdue third and UConn sixth. Did voters watch the NC tournament? <laughs> yeah, well, I, I, I think they did. However, Purdue returns Zach Eady, the reigning national player of the year. And UConn, if you just kind of look at the preseason magazine or or, or what have you, you realize, oh, wow, they lost to Dama Sonogo. They lost Jordan Hawkins. Like, these are key pieces there. What, what are they going to do to replace those guys? They lost Andre Jackson, who was the ultimate glue guy for them. Uh, in reality, UConn's going to be fine. Uh, the, the concern there may be, and we've discussed this one, actually, Donovan Klingon being out. Mm-hmm. We'll, we'll see when he gets back, how long it takes him to get up and running. And with Purdue, there's just a little bit more known. There's a little bit more comfort there. 
And yes, they laid an egg against Fairleigh Dickinson in the first round, but they returned almost everyone of, of note from last season. And that was a team that won the Big Ten regular season title and the Big Ten tournament. So you're seeing, you're seeing the voters really wait regular season performance over NCAA tournament performance. And, and I don't have a problem with that because you get down to the NCAA tournament and we all know anything can happen. So, yeah, I mean, Matt Painter, as, as just in general, has to prove it in March. He's one of the best regular season coaches in college basketball, but he's yet to make a Final Four, and his teams rarely make deep NCAA tournament runs. So it's, uh, you know, once March rolls around, the pressure will be on Matt Painter, but I have no doubt that Purdue is going to be an excellent regular season team once again. David, I'm convinced in 15, 20, 30 years from now, the trivia question out among sports people, name the 2023 Final Four. UConn, the winner, they're ranked sixth in the preseason poll. FAU ranked 10th. Miami, the U ranked 13th. And San Diego State ranked 17th. That Final Four will be the, the stomper of all time. And it was my my very first one, so hopefully I'll be the one to remember that. (laughs) You should, you will, you will be able to. (laughs) It's such a random group that 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 it's hard hard to remember it honestly. Yeah, how about FAU? I I still say refreshing. Yeah, yeah, it was. I mean, it wasn't the the best ratings draw or the most memorable, but you did have the uh, the FAU San Diego State uh, buzzer beater situation there, and yeah, it was it was not. I mean, I. It was not the uh, the best Final Four of all time, largely because the national title game was a bit of a dud, and UConn just just imposed its will on San Diego State. But uh, yeah, to see all those teams back in the AP poll, FAU up at ten. To me, that's one of the most interesting storylines of this season. Can FAU and the AAC now uh, continue on that trajectory and on that path with so many of those players back from last season, or are we going to find out that it was just a flash in the pan? Uh, one-hit wonder type of thing, and now that everybody's gotten their moment in the sun, uh, it's hard to replicate replicate that amount of intensity and focus that was required for them to make that run. Yeah, yeah, it's gonna be interesting. Uh, last thing for you, David. I'm curious. I know you and your colleagues at, at CBS Sports have been doing all of the conference previews and, and y'all's rankings for each conference. I saw you have Texas A&M finishing first in the SEC. Uh, I think uh, Matt Norlander also had Texas A&M atop the SEC. What jumps off the page to you about this A&M team that could lead them to win the conference this year? Yeah, it's Wade Taylor. I mean, I think he should be the preseason player of the year yeah. in the conference. A really good guard who gets overlooked for A&M because A&M is not a flashy team. It's not a basketball school. Uh, and they don't generally have the top 100 type uh, high school prospects that create media attention and, and that drive, you know, uh, TV ratings and such. Right? You're, they're not, you're not going to see many Texas A&M players appearing in mock drafts. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we we tend to overlook them because we get at this time of year in college basketball we get so infatuated by and 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 fixated upon the young players, the young talent. Uh, but what Texas A&M is is a solid group of old players with experience that just had a phenomenal season in the SEC, and a lot of those guys are back to run it back. And Buzz Williams has that program established now. So in my mind, uh, they they do it all in the sense that they are a good uh, offensive pro- uh, program and a good defensive program. And I don't know that you can say that about Tennessee. You can you can call Tennessee a good defensive program without a doubt, but. 
we got to see more from the Volunteers offensively before I'm ready to crown them as the uh, the SEC champions. And then, of course, you got the three A schools: Alabama, Auburn, and Arkansas. They have made the SEC a lot of fun the last mm-hmm. few years. NATO, Bruce Pearl, and Eric Musselman have done more for SEC basketball over the last five years uh, than you could really. So I mean. And then you can ask any coaching trio too, and, and and they've sustained the league as Kentucky's gone through some struggles. So take your pick of any of those three. Mix them in with uh, Tennessee and Texas A and M, and I bet you got uh, your league champion in that group. Then uh, that's you know obviously I know I'm not mentioning Kentucky there. Uh, too reliant on and the, and the Tigers go to College Station in sure. December. And Memphis plays a great schedule. I'm, I'm excited to, great to keep an eye on Memphis in November and December. I mean it is one after the other with Memphis basketball and. I know, I know folks around town in Memphis were disappointed they didn't crack the AP poll today and really weren't even that close. I was no. kind of surprised by that. I mean, the caliber of the roster is such that Memphis could be ranked. Uh, I guess there's just a lot of skepticism out there nationally about uh, whether they'll blend it all together and, and get it going. Well, they'll just have to play their way in with this uh, good non-conference schedule. But, David, thanks so much for joining us, and uh, we'll do it again Thank next you, week. David. All right, guys, I appreciate it. Thanks, David. Great stuff from David Cobb at CBS, uh, working for CBS Sports and on Twitter at David W. Cobb. Tonight, the rest of this week, all these games building into the weekend, coming out of tailgating over the last weekend. I hope it was at the commissary, the new Collierville commissary at Houston Levy and Poplar are the original in Germantown. Perfect for a big group. Third Saturday of October coming up this week. If you can't make it to Tuscaloosa, if you can't make it to Birmingham for Tigers and UAB, and you can't make it down on the plains for Auburn Ole Miss, you can make it to one of the two commissaries at Houston Levy and Poplar are the original in Germantown. All the big groups they can accommodate for that Memphis style barbecue and ribs done the authentic screaming the Memphis style way, the slow cooked way. If you're craving an easier way to order, text commissary right now to 33733. Start the feast with the appetizers like the cheese plate or the tamales, smoked chicken wings, the barbecue nachos invented, created at the commissary in the early 80s by Walker Taylor and his staff at the original in Germantown. Dig into the ribs of the shoulder, chopped or pulled on a plate, on a sandwich, all the sides. And now the holiday bird. Get on the list. Check it twice. Check it for Thanksgiving. Check it for Christmas. And you'll thank me later for that. The Holiday Bird, you can call 901-754-5540, and they will have you taken care of. Now's the time to sign up. Don't wait until the late, late for either holiday, and, and you can do it at 901-754-5540 or online at commissarybbq.com. They're in Collierville. They're in Germantown. And those party areas, Big enough to accommodate any group. Orders to go. Catering, tailgating, and time now for the holiday bird. 901-754-5540 or online at commissarybbq.com. Let's go ahead and get to a break. When we come back, we'll get to our Sissy's Log Cabin. Look back at the weekend in the SEC. Start your day with Sports 56 Mornings with Greg Gaston and Eli Savoy. Weekday mornings from 7 to 10, right here on Sports 56 and 98.5 FM. Now back to Sports Time on Sports 56 and 98.5 FM. Here once again are Brett Norsworthy and Bryant Dacus. Five, four, three, two, one. Time for a look back at the weekend in the SEC. Brought to you by Sissy's Log Cabin. 
the official jeweler of the Memphis Grizzlies with 9,000 square foot in Laurelwood. Let's go inside the SEC with Bryant, Brett, and Jay Morgan. Chad Kelly in the gun formation. Third and inches for Ole Miss. Carlton will kick it. It is on the way and it is up. But Baloo looking at it, going to pitch it to Herschel Walker, try to get him outside. He's going to get five. The snap is high. Kelly grabs it, wants to throw, fires it up in the air. Treadwell can't get it. It is good! Oh, my! Get a deflection, is caught! Deflection is caught! And down the sidelines is Adeboyjo. He's to the end zone. He's in there. Touchdown, Ole Miss. He's got 10, 15, 20, 25, 30, 35, 40. He needs a block. There goes Herschel. There goes Herschel. And you can wrap this one in maroon and white, my friends. Arkansas is headed to Atlanta. The national champion is clad in you know. big orange. Oh, Larry Monson would have loved Brock Bowers. That was the big news, sadly, though. Yeah, he would. From the first game of the day, Brock Bowers' injury, the left ankle, he's out for a while. I mm-hmm. think even getting him back, Brian, uh, for SEC championship game, yeah. I, I doubt they'd bring him back for Georgia Tech. No diss on Georgia Tech, but probably try to get him ready for that weekend. But that seems like it's the earliest. That's the Tua injury. That's mm-hmm. the injury – Barrett Jones had at Alabama too, and you know Alabama oh, wow. really started kind of the revolutionary s- surgery that <laughs> yeah. has become, you know, has become so known. That 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 was the the Bama training staff, Jeff Allen and their team doctors. They really got they got that down. Carson Beck, he went for two sixty one passing touchdown pass touchdown run twenty four straight for Kirby's Dogs. 23 straight SEC wins, 34 straight regular season wins. Vandy started 7-zip, mm-hmm. but 552 yards to 219 and only 18 yards rushing for Vandy. Uh, there was a lot of differences, but uh, both Vandy and Georgia off this week, but Georgia easily 37-20. to Yeah, they made it look easy. It was fun early when, when Vanderbilt was up 7-0. They recover a fumble and have an opportunity um, to go up 10-0 before, uh, before missing a field goal goal but after that it was all Georgia they scored on seven of their next and last eight drives um, whether it be field goal or touchdown in the way they kind of scored on a lot of those possessions a 16 play 7 minute and 47 second drive a 19 play 8 minute and 38 um, uh, second drive a 12 play 5 minute and 52 second drive so they were eating up clock they were taking a lot of plays Um, they were really in control of that game now for uh, Vanderbilt Ken Seals, backup quarterback, has come in, and I thought has done a really, really good job against the Bulls. I don't know what eligibility he has left, but if he's got anywhere next year to go and help somebody a one-year deal, Mm -hmm. Brian, I swear, after seeing him in 2020 up there COVID year, when I promise you on the entire property – there was not 250 <laughs> people. Yeah. It was the most get, the game played in the most anonymity I've ever, ever seen. Mm-hmm. I, I thought, you know, Ken Seals is really a good player. Yeah, yeah. and he's playing well. I mean, through, what, uh, six games, 836 yards, eight touchdowns to two interceptions, 
Four of those I games have been against SEC. I, I think I think he's looked really good, and, and especially for a backup, he's done the, a the phenomenal good side job. Of cover. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But Vanderbilt, we've been talking about all season. They still don't have a run game; only eighteen yards yeah. uh, rushing for them. And they all the running backs are somewhere else. Yeah, and and they didn't even try to run. I, I don't remember the exact amount of of uh, run plays they ran, but it wasn't a lot. On the other side, you mentioned Carson Beck looked good. Dewan Edwards, the running back, one hundred and forty six yards on twenty carries. He alone had more carries than the entire Vanderbilt team because they just know they can't run uh, and, for, and for George obviously the loss to Brock Bowers is going to be huge um, but yeah they took care of business on Saturday Bama Saturday morning 24-21 over Arkansas five losses by an average of 6.4 points that doesn't make it any better it makes it worse Bama reeled off 24 straight but Arkansas mm-hmm. kept fighting Jalen Milrow two touchdowns passing one rushing but they hit him hard. Arkansas had a great plan and executed it very well. K.J. Jefferson, 14 to 24, 150 yards, two touchdowns. He's about all they have on yeah. Arkansas. 17, 17 straight for Coach Nick Saban at Bama over Arkansas. His 200th win in, in at Alabama and his 291st in his career. Zero turnovers mm-hmm. uh, uh, and only two penalties for Arkansas. And, and, and they still come up short. Just, just an excruciating loss for them. Yeah, no, that, that one's huge because that's the game I think a lot of Arkansas fans have been looking for. Zero turnovers, only two penalties, and you still lose the game against Alabama. And Alabama really won that game between about the two-minute mark in the first quarter and the 430 mark in the second quarter. They scored three straight it. touchdowns, and that is where they won the game. But you mentioned uh, no turnovers for either team. I thought KJ Jefferson and Jalen Milrow both um, played really well, and, and Jalen Milrow um, is starting to throw the ball deep and I think they were kind of feasting on some of those DBs for uh for His Arkansas. Nothing special. It's not it's not anything special, but when you look at at him throwing the ball deep, four for eight on passes uh twenty yards or further, that's the most he's thrown um in any game this season. I think they realize kind of shorthanded Arkansas secondary, maybe they could feast over the top a little bit, and they did, but uh Rocket Sanders not playing was huge. Arkansas only ran for a hundred yards and that's really where when you look at this Arkansas team you you look for them to get a bulk of their uh, yardage on the ground, and, and they just weren't able to do that, and, and that's kind of what led to that three-point loss. When your leading rusher for the season through seven games has 239 yards, yes. you know you're in trouble, yeah. and you know you've had trouble running. This week, Arkansas in Fayetteville finally back home <laughs> to play Mississippi State in Alabama, host UT at Bryant-Denny Stadium on the famed third Saturday in October. That Tennessee team, they won 20-13 to over A&M. D. Williams' punt return really was the difference in a rugged game. Max Johnson, 16 to 34, 223, two interceptions. He was nothing special. Joe Milton wasn't either. No. He's, he, I thought he was really average again. 11 of 22, 100 yards, one TD, one interception. Jalen Wright, 136 rushing for Tennessee, 54 yards rushing all day for A&M, 11 penalties, 90 yards, poorly coached, poorly motivated. Mm-hmm. Nothing has changed at A&M. No, nothing has changed, and like you said, uh, for for all we've heard, and, and we talked about what, this earlier. Worst contract since Bobby Bonilla. I, you're right about that. It's really bad. But, you know, we talk a lot about this this Tennessee team and, and kind of how before the season it was all about through the air and only 100 yards for Joe Milton. That just doesn't get the job done. But I thought uh, the the – 
Texas A&M defense, it just wasn't the same defense we saw. It kind of got banged up in that game. You know, saw some injuries. Um, only three sacks, eight tackles for a loss for Texas A&M. And uh, really, the, the run game, Jalen Wright, what he was able to do on the ground is really what separated this game. Like uh, like David Cobb said earlier, it, it was kind of an ugly game. Um, it was kind of a sloppy game. Um, but that run game what, what really fueled Tennessee. And, and things are could start getting ugly in, in, in Texas A&M as these losses are starting to pile up. Man, that, I, again, that looked like some Johnny Majors late yeah. '80s Tennessee oh, yeah. teams just to to gnaw it out and get it one, get it one again. Winning is the object, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Florida forty-one thirty-nine at South Carolina, the Steve Spurrier Bowl. Coach Spurrier would be proud of this: nine hundred yards of total offense, Ooh. seventy-eight passes. Uh, Graham Mertz went for four twenty-three. Uh, I, I thought I thought Spencer Rattler was really good, three thirteen, best wide receiver in the SEC. And help me with the pronunciation. Xavier Leggett or Leggetti for South Carolina? Leggett. Leggett. Mm-hmm. He's the he, he's the best wide receiver in the SEC. He is. He's really good. 110 yards yesterday on on only five receptions, and and that's an everyday Gotta stat get it line to him for him. Got to get it to him more. I think you're right. Like like I said, only five receptions. But you know this this South Carolina defense is starting to kind of show that. You know, they can struggle and they can struggle a lot. You remember they got the win a couple weeks ago against Mississippi State, but Mississippi State threw the ball all over them. I mean, over 500 yards for Mississippi State in that game. Um, but Graham Mertz, a really good game, I thought, from him. 423 yards, 30 for 48, three touchdowns, zero turnovers for him. And really, I don't think we've talked a lot about Graham Mertz, but he's putting in a a decent year at, at at Florida. I mean, it hasn't been Nobody great. Nobody thought he would have this year. Nobody. It hadn't been over the top great, and but it's been Utah pretty good. Game? Yeah. Oh, especially after that Utah game. I mean, good lord. I mean, then this is the same Graham Mertz that after the spring game uh, we had. I think multiple coaches on that staff coming out and saying we we, we probably need to add another quarterback uh, before the season yeah. starts. Yeah, and and and. He, he was really good. I talk about Leggett for South Carolina. Ricky Pearsall, 10 catches, really 186 good. yards. And Ricky Pearsall and is the same player that had that catch against Charlotte where he just went up and grabbed it with his opposite hand. One year. hand, it was unbelievable. I, I know the gloves are good these days, but uh-huh. still, yeah, to, to do, do it like that. LSU wins 48-18 over Auburn down at Tiger Stadium. Death Valley, Baton Rouge, Jaden Daniels, first LSU quarterback ever with 5,000 yards passing and 1,000 yards rushing in his LSU career. 418 total yards for him Saturday night, three touchdowns. Logan Diggs, almost 100 yards rushing for LSU. They were 6 of 9 on third down. Auburn was 3 of 12. 12 LSU penalties. I think they're getting better. Uh, I, I I wouldn't want to have to play them again if I if I if I'm old Miss. Mm-hmm. But they don't have to play them again. No, they don't. I mean, this LSU team, despite the loss to Ole Miss, which was a, a really really fun game to watch. Uh, defensively, if you talk to a defensive coordinator, they'd probably tell you that was an awful game to watch. But it was it was a fun game to watch for me. Um, and then that loss, against, it's holding up for Ole Miss. It, that win, it really though. is. It really is. And, and that loss against Florida State. I mean, we're seeing how good of a team Florida State is um, each and every week. But that's really holding up. Yeah, really holding up. But you look at this game and you look at uh, at really the protection J- Jaden Daniels got in that game. Only two sacks uh, for the Auburn defense. 
defense. Only two tackles for a loss for the Auburn defense. And Jaden Daniels, I mean, we talk about him all the time. He is just unbelievable, extremely fun to watch. You said Logan Diggs. But on the other side, um, you know, Auburn, it's going to come together, I think, um, eventually. It's just not going to be this season. I think I don't think anybody really thought LSU would have much trouble in this game. No, they uh, and, and they went in and, and really took care of business and, and did what they needed to do. I think Auburn's in the wheelhouse, yes. potentially, for being a Liberty Bowl team. Mizzou oh, yeah. wins Saturday night at Kentucky, 38-21. Brady Cook, 167 yards. Punter Luke Bauer with the 39-yard <laughs> fake punt throw oh, that was just so well executed. Uh, Luther Burton, only two catches. Did you think Mizzou could win a game with him with only two catches? I didn't. No, they won easily. No, only two catches for, for 15 yards and uh, didn't really need them. Won easily, like you said. Um, and, and right after Missouri's out of the top 25, they get a shot at a top 25 opponent in Kentucky and, and took care of business. And this is the team that you know Memphis really put up a, a great fight against and, and, and held their own. And, and Memphis then, has lost it competitively to two good teams. Two very, very good teams. Two teams that are now in the top 25, Brett. So these it are. It should be self-explanatory, but I be. think to some we got to explain it. I think so, but, uh, I thought that was a really good win for, for Missouri. And, and like I said, that win vaults them back up in the top 25. The Memphis Tigers two losses, just nothing to hang your heads about now. Got got it. Got to win this week at UAP. That's a look back at the weekend in the SEC. Brought to you by Sissy's Log Cabin, the official jeweler of the Memphis Grizzlies, proud sponsor of Tigers Athletics. You saw it everywhere. I got to see it everywhere Friday night. People have been going all year. Got to see it on the jumbotron everywhere. You'll see it on the ribbon boards at FedEx Forum. And a sponsor of our look back at the weekend in the SEC every single Monday since 1970, with six locations across Arkansas and Tennessee. Unsurpassed value, exceptional service, expansive selection, and an extraordinary experience. An official jeweler for the Memphis Grizzlies and FedEx Forum with floor seat lounge. Because life's too short for ordinary jewelry. Let's go ahead and get to a break. And when we come back, it'll be time for Big Number of the Day. Be sure to follow us at Sports56WHBQ on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube to watch live video of our shows, stay up to date with station events, and have chances to win prizes. Don't miss out on anything that's going on. Follow us at Sports56WHBQ. Now back to sports time on Sports 56 and 98.5 FM. Here once again are Brett Norsworthy and Bryant Dacus. Big Daddy. Hello, Big Brand. It's a guy, he wants to be big, then he gets big, he doesn't want to be big anymore, then he gets small, but the suit's too big. Big Daddy. The Big Boy. You're a big guy. I think she's trying to pull a fast one on Big Daddy. The big number of the day. Well, Brett, my big number today comes from the NFL. It comes from Sunday Night Football last night. My big number is 134. The Giants are the only NFL team in the Super Bowl era to have more rushing yards, more passing yards, fewer interceptions thrown, fewer fumbles lost, and fewer missed field goals than their opponent but still lose. Prior to last night's game, teams had been 134 and 0 in the Super Bowl era when doing all that in the same game. That is both regular season and postseason. So a, uh, a rare feat for the Giants last night. 
Yeah, that was ugly, and they got a tough call at the end. Yeah. Uh, but but they 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 were really bad. Uh, Daniel Jones never looked better in his absence, did he? <laughs> he never, no, not once. Uh, it, 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 it proved they, they uh-huh. need to get him back in there. I got a bunch of numbers. I'm going to start with the number 40. That's the number of schools all time to have a Heisman Trophy winner. Washington's never won one. Mm. UW's never won one. Warren Moon was great there. Sonny Sixkiller was great there. Uh, Mark Brunel was great there. They've had running backs like Corey Dillon, uh, Napoleon Cott. They've had a lot, they've had a lot of great players, mm-hmm. but never won a Heisman Trophy. Michael Penix is a leader today for it. Oh, he absolutely. Is. 100%. Uh, 20 touchdown passing this year, th- only three interceptions, over 2,300 yards. This is his sixth year of college football. He took snaps in 2018 at Indiana. It's incredible. I mean, 21 of 34 <laughs> passing in 2018 at Indiana. It's crazy. It's crazy. He's good at Indiana, too. He was real good at Indiana in 19 and 20. He's been around a while. Mm-hmm. Here's another one. 248. FBS teams down by 28 or more at halftime were 0 and 248 since 2019 until Friday night in Coach Prime. Wow. Oh, man, that's brutal. I mean, Coach Prime, along with the rest of the country, it seemed like they all went to sleep at, uh, it, at it, halftime of that game. In, in kind of the national propping up of him. I heard yep. Reese Davis all but open on game day Saturday going, yeah, I, I really loved how Coach Prime owned it. He threw his team under the bus and said they didn't yeah. love football. Yeah. What clip were you watching, Reese? That's the dumbest thing ever. <laughs> yeah, it was. Uh, it wasn't his best look, and uh, it was not the best showing for Colorado either. How about this? You're talking about Michael Penix. Uh, how about this? At one point, Michael Penix was committed to Butch Jones at Tennessee before Butch Jones You're was ultimately me. fired, and he never knew that. flipped his commitment to uh, to Indiana. Yeah, wasn't Butch Jones also in the mix for Trevor Lawrence at one time? He was, yeah, because Trevor Lawrence is from Tennessee. Oh, Butch! So, uh, oh, yeah. Butch! Uh, oh, two fumbles. How about that? Oh, oh man! <laughs> oh, 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 wow! Yeah, not good. Not a good track record in terms of quarterbacks for Butch Jones. I, I, I would love it if Michael Penix won it, and a, 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 a new school joined the. Fraternity of winners. Yeah, I, I would, I would love that. And um, you know, I've been watching him for a while, so I'd, I'd love to, to see him win it. And North Carolina could get their I was first. About to say, it They've seems, never had one. It seems pretty, pretty wide open. Um, because uh, it seems like there's a, uh, there's a handful of guys that could win it, and it could go either way. So. North Carolina's never won it. They had the yeah. very rare back-to-back runner-up. In mm-hmm. Charlie Choo Choo Justice in the late forties. What, what a name! Yeah, what, what well, a name. It's, it's a great stage name. Isn't it? <laughs> it is a great stage name. Um, I should say uh, Trevor Lawrence was not from Tennessee; he's from Georgia. But there was some connection. I think his dad went to played at Tennessee, maybe or something. There was like something that. there. Um, there sure was. Yeah, there was a connection. I can't remember exactly what the connection was, but yeah, you're right. They had him on a visit, and, and a lot of people thought it was a lock that he would go to uh, to Tennessee and Cruton man Cruton and it, it's it's a uh, it's a wild wild business that's why everyone calls it the wild wild west but uh, that'll do it for our second hour let's go ahead and get to a break and when we come back we've got to talk Grizzlies basketball right around the corner from the start of the regular season only one more preseason game for the Grizzlies and joining us to talk about the team and their upcoming season to Michael Cole the beat writer for the commercial appeal he'll join us next. 